Welcome back to the 3rd and 15 podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Timmerman. Before we get going, let me remind you that the 3rd and 15 podcast is brought to you by Cali TV. Folks, we've all been there. You got to turn on your, your game on Saturday, your baseball game on a Wednesday, what have you. And uh, it's on one of those channels that you don't get anymore. You used to get it on your streaming platform and you don't get it now. Well, I've got a solution for you. You probably thought you had to get cable. You don't. You can get Cali TV. $25 a month, no gimmicks, no contracts. They get any game. When I say any game, I mean any game. If that's something you're interested in, message me on Facebook, find me on Twitter, at JTIMM684, and I can get you connected today. So, college football has, again, made me a liar. Uh, Last week, I told you that if the Heisman went as I thought it would and Bryce Young just kind of ran away with it, uh, I, I might not even record this week. And it did that. Uh, or he did that. Bryce Young won. Um, he, the, his total points for the Heisman voting, with, you know, based on first place, second place, and third place votes, he won 23-11 to 9-54 over Aiden Hutchinson, the runner-up. Uh, he got 684 of the first place votes. Aiden Hutchinson was second with 78. Nobody else got more than 31. Will Anderson Jr. did get the third most first place, third most first place votes. Um, and really, as I started looking at it, and as I said this last week, I, I felt like what we would see is that Bryce Young ran away with it, and that it really wasn't about you know Will Anderson wasn't really that snubbed by not being a finalist. And I was sort of right. The real question though wasn't why did Will Anderson. Um, not get invited. It was why did C.J. Stroud get invited? I thought he was probably second place. He would have been my first place vote until Bryce Young did what he did uh, in the AC, or the SEC championship game. Um, but he only had 399 votes. It was 23 uh, or points. It was uh, 2,311 for Bryce Young, uh, 954 for Aiden Hutchinson, so less than half. Uh, 631 for Kenny Pickett, and then a pretty significant drop down to 399 for Stroud and then 325 for Will Anderson. I would have only invited three. Uh, I don't know if maybe they thought that that a lot of people were thinking like me, that, that Stroud was probably the second place uh, guy, and that if they only announced three, it would have completely erased the drama, because I think we all know of, of Bryce Young, Aiden Hutchinson, and Kenny Pickett. We all know who won that. But I don't think it really did that. I, th- I think we all knew as soon as as soon as Bryce Young, really maybe at halftime of the SEC championship game, we all had a pretty good feeling of where uh, the Heisman was going. Um, so, but yeah, again, to illustrate what I'm talking about, though, Bryce Young, that gap of, of almost 1,400 points in the voting. Uh, to give you a re- frame of reference, Devonta Smith over Trevor Lawrence last year felt like a very clear choice. He won 1856 to 1187, and then Mac Jones had 1130. Uh, the year before that, Joe Burrow, 2608 to 762. And, and um, Bryce Young was almost to that level. And we all remember how clear of a, of a choice um, Joe Burrow was. And, and let's, let's actually look at those first place votes. Um, well, the first place votes for Joe were, were more stark. He had 841. The next closest was Chase Young with 20. So it was a little bit closer than that year. But overall, Bryce Young runs away with the Heisman, as, as I pretty much felt he should. Um, the Heisman gotten a lot of criticism over the years. But really, we've talked about this all year. As we talked about before the season, who the Heisman was going to be, as we gave kind of an update of who was still in the race, kind of a, towards the midway mark, 
And as we talked about coming into uh, this final stretch, the Heisman comes down to who comes up big in their, in their team's biggest games. That's it. That's who wins the Heisman every year. Um, when you don't have, I mean, sometimes you have a year like uh, Joe Burrow in 2019 where he came up big in every game and he was just so statistically dominant. And, and his team's offense was the story of the season and he was at the centerpiece of it. And so it really doesn't matter. I couldn't tell you how he did against Alabama or how he did against Georgia or, or, or what have you because he was just so good in every game. But every other year, years where it feels more contested, it comes down to who does what in the biggest games. And Bryce Young did it in the SEC championship game when his team needed him to be the man. He was the man. And, and that's the difference. Not that Stroud didn't do that. But his team, for me, C.J. Stroud's um, luck is just not good. You know, and this year, I mean, he's a freshman, so he's got more years. He, I think he had a more complete package of a season, maybe, than Bryce Young as far as week in and week out. Now, the stats don't reflect that. Um, Bryce Young has 500 more yards, five more touchdowns, one fewer interception. Um Really, it really comes down to Stroud. I mean, it, Stroud and Young. It comes down to that SEC championship game, and and the fact that Bryce or that CJ Stroud was not in the Big Ten championship game, because it really comes down to about one game. Uh, yeah, thirty-five completions, seventy attempts. So, so more. <laughs> that's a little bit more than one game, but about five hundred yards. Uh, you know, maybe about four. 460. I'm doing this math in my head real quick. Uh, five touchdowns, one fewer interception. So again, what Bryce Young was able to do in that 13th game really pushed him past Stroud. And, and Pickett didn't have a bad year. Pickett, I mean, his completion percentage wasn't as high. He had basically the same yardage, basically the same touchdowns, basically the same interceptions. He just didn't have it on the stage that Bryce Young did. Um, So... Uh, Kenny Pickett had a great game against Clemson, but Clemson ended up not being the elite win that, that you needed it to be to win a Heisman. Pittsburgh just did not have those marquee games that Alabama did, and that's what it comes down to. So folks criticize the Heisman. They're like, oh, it's the best player on the best team. I mean, sort of, but not always. Robert Griffin III wasn't the best player on the best team. It's only really in these last few years that it's been that way. Uh, Bryce Young, and I don't even know that Alabama's the best team. They had the best game, and he was the best in that game. Devontae Smith, yeah, Alabama's the best team. Joe Burrow, best team. 2018, Kyler Murray won it. Their third or fourth best team in the country. The best team in the country that year was Clemson. Travis Etienne finished seventh in Heisman voting. Um, Tua finished second, and, and they were the best team in the country going into that game, going into the playoffs. Uh, 2017, Baker Mayfield wins it. Um, the Georgia and Alabama, uh, Georgia had Roquan Smith finish 10th in voting. So really it's just a recent phenomenon that the best player on the best team wins the Heisman. And that has been because the best teams have had the most outstanding players. It's hard to watch this season and watch what Bryce Young did and not think he's the most outstanding player. So I think the Heisman got it right. I think they normally get it right. Uh, people want something. People want the Heisman to be something it's not. On the Heisman materials, it talks about the most outstanding player in college football. 
and they get it right. The players that they honor are almost always the most outstanding. The player that when you watch their games, they stand out. That's what it's, that's what it's for. So they did that. I don't have a problem with it. Um, I think it was, it was a good, um, it was a good, good, good choice. Good choice. So I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with the order of the votes. And really it doesn't matter. People get all bent out of shape as, you know, who should have been a finalist? Who should have been second, third, fourth? Who cares? Who cares? It's about who wins. And really that's what skews those second, third or fourth place votes. That's why they get all out of whack because you're voting for a winner. The winner is what matters. Whoever gets the most first place votes, it's going to skew towards them because of the way the points work. So that's that. Um, other big news today was National Signing Day or the early period, which has basically become National Signing Day. Nothing too groundbreaking amongst the major programs. Everybody got who you thought they were going to get. Um, I, I kind of lament the way the internet and social media has has changed the the, the signing process because these websites are so daggum good at getting their information, and it's become such a big deal to get these commitments for the kids to put it on social media for the programs because the programs, rightfully so, they want to use that to influence other people. They want to use you know when uh, when Clemson gets Cade Klubnik out of Texas, they want it known that he's committed. They want that online. So that other players will see if you're you know, if you're a wide receiver in this class, you want to get a chance to play with one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Um, when one of when one of these Alabamas and Georgias gets these massive offensive line recruits, they want that known so that running backs and quarterbacks will see. Hey, if I'm going to Georgia or I'm going to Alabama, I'm running behind this guy. Um, so it's no surprise um, that. Um, that it's gone this way, but I do I do miss the suspense of these days because it's pretty much gone. Uh, Clemson signed twelve. I, I, I'm a Clemson fan, so I paid attention to them. They signed twelve guys today. All twelve of them were in by eight thirty this morning, and all twelve of them were known before today. And it was that way for pretty much every major program. There were some flips among the major programs, but you know I lamented a little bit. But then again, um, it's 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 it makes. People make money off of it. People make a living off of being able to cover this year-round where you couldn't really do it before the internet. Um, Fun recruiting story for me. Uh, Most of you who are listening to this will know this, but I was, in a former life, a a sports reporter. I covered high school football. Uh, Covered a young man who ended up at App State named Victor Johnson. Uh, Followed Victor on Twitter. I think he follows me. So, Victor, if you happen to listen to this, I'd love to have you on the show one day. Uh, but one of the funniest stories, I go out, uh, Victor committed to originally Eastern Carolina over the summer. And because of when he committed, he was at camps, we had other things going on. Um, when you're a sports reporter, I was at the Aiken Standard in Aiken, South Carolina. When you're a sports reporter, a local paper, uh, you really got to get your vacation time in over the summer because you go straight from high school football to uh college and high school basketball into college and high school baseball you just it, it's a non-stop thing so the summertime is when all that dies down for a local paper if you if you don't have a if you're not covering a major league baseball team or a an NBA team as a part of your beat you, summers when you can get your vacation time in so with that with that with everything else we just hadn't really gotten a chance to talk to Victor so Victor's committed to ECU. His team's playing in our big game of the week, so one of the features I was going to do for that, he went to North Augusta High School. 
uh, I go up there and I'm gonna do like a little game. I'm working on a game preview, but I'm killing some killing multiple birds with one stone. And I I'm gonna talk to Victor about his commitment. And I go up to him. I get a little break. I talk to the coach, and you know he he come. Victor comes out of a drill, and he's a big offensive lineman, big dude, big mountain of a dude. I'm a big dude. At the time, I'm running, you know, and now too, I'm about six four, two thirty, and this dude is way bigger than me. And uh, he comes up and hey man, so uh, you know you're committed to Eastern Carolina. Let's talk a little bit about how that came about. And he was like, uh, well, actually, um, I've I've changed my commitment. I'm I'm going to be going to App State. I was like, oh, all right, well. Um, so there's that then. So I talked to him about that. Um, and luckily I wasn't really tweeting about it, I guess at the time. I don't remember why I didn't tweet that, but I had not yet. So I go up to the coach. I'm like, Hey coach, I don't even remember the guy's name now. Um, he wasn't there super long. And I said, Hey coach, I just talked to Victor and he tells me he flipped commitment. So let's talk about that. And he's like, I'll talk to you, but I'd really appreciate it if you didn't report on that just yet. And I was like, um, because I had decided that this wasn't going to be a feature for the the game preview because that, that was going to be a couple days in the future. This would now need to be something I was going to write up for the, for the next day's paper and, and go ahead and get out there that evening. I'd really appreciate it if you didn't report that because I, mm, I don't even think he's like told his mom. And I don't think he's told the coaches that he's made that change. So I appreciate if you didn't didn't report that. So <laughs> so I go and I, I call my editor and I clear it up and, and we talk about it for a second. But that's that's the kind of stuff that's why when when you guys are uh, on Twitter and you're on social media and you're blasting these kids for their decisions, like that's who these kids are. They're kids. I still don't know. I would love to get Victor on this podcast so I could talk to him about it. He may have decided during that drill that he was changing his mind. And I just happened to catch him. And if I were not me, if I were another reporter, and especially if this was, because gosh, that was almost 10 years ago now. If this was 2021, I might have already tweeted it. I might have had my phone out already tweeting it. Um, and it, it would have been gone. It would have been in the, in the internet. It would have been in the world. And everybody would have seen it. I would have tagged him in it. I mean, it would have been a big thing already. So just know when you see things related to these high school kids, man, that it is a different world for them than anything we experienced. So keep that in mind. Um, But the big news of today, with it being National Signing Day, uh, Travis Hunter, the number one or number two player in the country, depending on who you talk to, um, was... Committed to go to Florida State. Obviously, Florida State's had some turmoil. Things haven't gone super great for Florida State. Um, and so there was talk that he was going to flip, maybe, and talk that he was going to um, go somewhere else. Well, he did go somewhere else. And it wasn't Alabama, it wasn't Georgia, it wasn't Clemson, it wasn't Texas, it wasn't Florida. He flipped to go to FCS Jackson State, where Deion Palmer, um, Deion Palmer, excuse me, Deion Palmer was the quarterback of my high school football team. I don't know why he's the name I just threw out there. I'm going to leave that right here in the uh, podcast, though, because that's funny that that name came out of my head. Deion Sanders is the head coach, primetime. Uh, he got um, 
Travis Hunter to flip to H to a FCS HBCU Jackson State. And I think that's awesome. If you listen to this podcast, you know that I believe my second episode was about how name, image, and likeness deals and the ability to make money off of your name, image, and likeness was going to benefit the little guy. Now, I probably even said outright, this does not mean that FCS programs are going to start getting top five recruits, but it does mean that some guys who would traditionally go to Alabama and maybe be a backup and compete for a starting job in two years suddenly go to a smaller program like a Louisville or a Wake Forest where they can start right away. Um, This is the extreme version of what I was talking about. Because as a defensive back, even as the number one player in the country, um, how many of you, when you you're, you consider yourself college football fans, when you go look at the at the the draft, the mock drafts, the previews, and you see those defensive backs on the first round, I guarantee you, you don't know who all of them are. Andrew Booth Jr., one of the top defensive backs, maybe the top defensive back in the 2022 draft, plays at Clemson. If you haven't watched a Clemson game in person, or like actually sat and watched the game. You, don't, you may not even know he exists until you see him in those draft reports. Defensive backs, they're not like quarterbacks. They're not like running backs where you're going to see their highlights every week on SportsCenter if they're the kind of guy who's getting drafted high. You're just not. Because even the best defensive backs don't get a ton of interceptions. They don't make those plays. Their, their impact shows up more in the tape, in the film, than it does in the box score. And because of that, even if he's one of the best defensive backs in the country, if he's playing at Florida State, Alabama, Georgia, he's not a star, really. He's not going to be a guy who is going to have a ton of NIL opportunities. You know, DJ Wungalale at Clemson had a big old deal with Bojangles before he had ever played a game as Clemson's intentional starter. Bryce Young had seven-figure... NIL deals before he had played a game as a starter. Defensive backs don't get that opportunity. Really only quarterbacks, maybe running backs, maybe wide receivers are going to be the the kind of guys who are going to get that unless you're the guy who was the number one recruit in the country and went to Jackson State to play with Deion Sanders. That's money. He becomes a star immediately by doing that. Rumors came out today that he already had a seven-figure NIL deal. He does have an NIL deal with, uh, I, I'm uh, unless this has changed, with Barstool Sports and a uh, Penn Gaming Company, which is a casino. And, and I think it's great for the kids to get the money. I think NIL is great. Do not hear, do not think that I'm saying otherwise. However, it is not good for the sport and for this young man to have college athletes sponsored by casinos that have ties to sports gambling. It's not. And I'm not, I've, you know my feeling about gambling on college football. I think it's dumb. I think, you know, it's, it's tricky to get right. Um, I would not advise you to do it. But this is not about gambling. For me personally, this is about what the perception is going to be when this young man, um, let's say Jackson State's playing a game worth gambling on and he has a particularly bad day. You're telling me people aren't going to accuse, aren't going to throw out accusations about um, Travis Hunter and his ties to this gambling organization. And on top of that, 
Deion Sanders has a past working relationship with Barstool Sports. That's not a great look. I don't think... Listen, Deion Sanders is the kind of guy he could have gotten money for that kid from any other company in the world. There are dozens of companies they could have gotten it from. That particular business relationship makes me a little uncomfortable. And if it makes me uncomfortable, it's going to make some of the powers that be in college football uncomfortable. And that could cause some problems for NIL in the future. That could cause some restrictions to NIL in the future that we don't have right now. It's kind of an open season. You got offensive linemen being sponsored by local car dealerships. You got kids being sponsored by local bars and local, you know, all this local stuff. And it's great. I love it. I love it. But this one in particular, if it's the details that, I, that have been reported, I'm not too crazy about it, and I think it could cause some problems for, for future athletes. And it could cause problems for Travis Hunter that he doesn't deserve. Because the kid's just out here doing what, he, doing what he loves. He's using, and he's using his outstanding skill set to make money for himself and to garner attention for himself, and I'm fine with that. This deal just poses some problems for him that, you know, if he had a $1.5 million deal with body armor, the, those issues aren't there. Um... So, that's my thought. That's my thoughts on that. But it's great for the sport to see this to see this elite talent get spread around, and in this case, get spread farther than any of us ever thought. We never thought. I didn't think I would see, at least not for another 10, 15 years, I would see a day where the number one athlete in the country would go to an FCS program, and we saw it today. So that's huge. I love it. Um, I just there's some details that make me a little bit uncomfortable. That's all. So, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit. I haven't, even though I'm a Clemson fan, I've tried to keep this podcast from being Clemson-focused. But we're going to focus a little bit on Clemson and South Carolina when we come back from the break because some big stuff happened over the last week for, with those programs. And let, Let's get into it. Let's talk about college football in the state of South Carolina. So we'll actually start with the Gamecocks. Let's let's start with them first, and we'll get into Clemson after that. Came out in the last couple days that Spencer Rattler, you know him, former Oklahoma Sooner, got replaced by Caleb Williams, uh, was like a Heisman favorite, a potential first-round NFL draft pick. All that went away when Oklahoma struggled earlier in the year, and he got replaced by a freshman. Jumps in the transfer portal, as we would expect him to do. Don't blame him there. Ends up at South Carolina. Kind of a shocker. Not really when you think about the details. Shane Beamer came from Oklahoma, had a good relationship with uh, Spencer Rattler. Also got Austin Stogner, a tight end from Oklahoma, to come on over to South Carolina. And, folks, this is a great deal for South Carolina. I'm going to say some things here that make it seem like I'm um, making fun of South Carolina and being condescending but I really don't mean to be. I did not want Spencer Rattler to come to Clemson. I don't know that he is the kind of talent that week in, week out can do what Clemson needs a quarterback to do. DJ Ungale was not that this year. Uh, Clemson, in my opinion, needs to be on a top four level, and I just don't know that Spencer Rattler can do that week in and week out. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. And this allows him to do that. If he goes to South Carolina and he plays at that level, 
week in and week out, if he is that Heisman front runner, South Carolina's starting to put together enough talent that maybe, maybe he can put them in the playoff contention. He can at least put them in the New Year's Six contention. And especially when it expands, you know, depending on when this playoff expansion happens. Uh, he's a sophomore now. He's only got really one more year of uh, eligibility. or He's only going to be good one more year before he's gone. Let's put it that way. Um, but, South, but South Carolina is a place where if he's good, he can be on that stage. But I still, he's just so inconsistent. I, I really wouldn't have wanted him at Clemson. But at South Carolina, this is a guy who can go out there and he's capable of going out and doing what he did against Western Carolina, where he threw for uh, 20 for 26 yards, 20 for 26, 243, five touchdowns. Didn't have a bad day against Kansas State, 22 of 25, two touchdowns and interception. Um... Also ran six times for 35 yards and a touchdown against Nebraska. They didn't have a great game, but he didn't have a terrible game. He just wasn't he just wasn't the elite Heisman level performer like everybody thought he was gonna be. But if he can do that three or four times in at South Carolina, and the other thing about South Carolina is they don't have the playmakers to count on. Uh, having four and five receivers out there that he's working the ball to. He might only have one or two that he can really rely on, but he can make plays with his legs and he can make defenses pay for mistakes. And he can go into a place like South Carolina and bring some excitement. He can be a guy that what South Carolina hasn't had in a long time is a quarterback that other teams were scared of. Now, that's not to say Jake Bentley lit Clemson up a few years ago, but Clemson wasn't really scared of him. That's why he was able to do that. Um, this Spencer Rattler is the kind of guy that opposing defenses are going to look at and they're going to go, this is a guy we have to game plan for. It's going to get the fans excited. It's going to get attention on South Carolina games. So that when they do win, you know, they, they open the season. I forget who they open the season with, but uh, second week of the season is Arkansas. At Arkansas. All eyes are going to be on Spencer Rattler in that game. Um, and that's going to put all eyes on South Carolina. So if they can win that game, that's going to bring attention to that program, and it's going to help recruiting in ways that maybe some of these guys they've had in the past, maybe Jake Bentley is more solid than Spencer Rattler is. But Jake Bentley's not as exciting as Spencer Rattler is, and that's great for that program to bring that kind of talent in that people are going to be paying attention to South Carolina games just to see how Spencer Rattler does. So I think that's a huge get for South Carolina. Um, it makes I don't like it as a Clemson fan because... Now, uh, I got 11 weeks to watch what he's doing up there and worry about whether they're going to be able to derail Clemson's season. That's not something I've been worried about since 2014. Ever since then, I have not been super worried that South Carolina had the kind of team that could derail Clemson. Just wasn't worried about it. Um, but I got to be worried about that now. Georgia's got to be worried about that in week three next year. Arkansas's got to be worried about that in week two. That... Is this addition of Spencer Rattler and Austin Stogner, is that enough to make them a team that can come out and beat you and derail what would otherwise be a really good season? And if they can do that to a couple of teams, now they're putting themselves to, themselves together a good, a good season. If they can beat Arkansas and or Georgia, they're already on the way to a really good season. Spencer Rattler is good for a, a, an upset or two by himself, I think. And that's 
awesome for South Carolina. Great pickup for them. Great fit for him. I think that's just a good, good start to the, I know this is not uh, Shane Beamer's first year, you know, second year, is it? Third year? Um, but this really feels like a stamp on that program that a lot of past coaches there have not been able to pull off. Um, even Spurrier, Spurrier recruited well, but he, he recruited these guys in state that basically were coming to South Carolina regardless. Um, once he had one good year, he was getting all those guys. And some of those guys he would have gotten anyway because it's South Carolina. They grew up South Carolina fans. All he had to do was show up in the house. Spencer Rattler is a get for Shane Beamer that most other South Carolina coaches don't get. So I, I think that's a great pickup for them. And, and if, I'm, if, I'm, if I were a South Carolina fan, I'd be super excited about getting Spencer Rattler. And uh, so good get for them. Told you I was going to talk about Clemson news. Um, Clemson, uh, unless you've been living under a rock, Brent Venables left. He was the defensive coordinator. Uh, he's the head coach at Oklahoma. Oklahoma is where he came from. He was the the co-defensive coordinator there, sharing it with one of the Stoops boys. Came to Clemson. Been a phenomenal defensive coordinator for Clemson for years. I honestly don't know how they kept him beyond the 2019 season. You know, when he – I kind of felt like when, when he did what he did against Alabama in 2018, it was only a matter of time before this happened. Somehow they held on to him for another – three seasons after that. Um, so no problems there. He goes, I think he's going to be, I, I have worried, not worried. I don't, it doesn't affect me anymore now, but I have wondered if Brent Venables was a good fit as a head coach. Uh, there are some guys that I think are good, great coordinators that just their mindset doesn't work for a head coach. We see that all the time. I wonder about that with him. He's high octane. He's high energy. He's the guy that's, he's calling plays from the field and the get back coach has to pull him back. I don't know if you can be the head coach and do that. Um, not that no head coach does it, but I just I wonder if that particular mindset is going to mesh well with being a head coach. We'll see. Um, but it, if if he doesn't succeed as a head coach, it won't be because he doesn't know the game because he does know the game. The man is a defensive genius. He has done wonders at Clemson, taking them from a program that in 2011 was giving up 70 points in the Orange Bowl and getting absolutely embarrassed to, by 2021, they were one of the top defenses in the country year, year, year in and year out. Um, so, kudos to him. Best of luck to him. I, th- I hope it works out. I hope we get to see uh, Dabo versus Venables, Venables in a playoff game before too long. Um, they also lost offensive coordinator. Um Tony Elliott leaves and goes to Virginia in conference. So that that that's a matchup that'll happen sooner rather than later at some point. Um, Clemson and, and Virginia will face off. Um, the offense, uh, just to be frank, the offense was, was struggled this year. There were times even with Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne in the last couple of years that it felt like the offense was struggling a little bit. The offense just... And the numbers don't really back it up. I went and looked at some numbers, and the Clemson offense did great overall. But there were just some times where it just felt like things were not as easy as they should be with that talent. And then this year, the offense completely derailed for a while. They kind of found the identity later in the year as more of a running team. Um, frankly, uh, you know, Tony Elliott leaving was kind of felt like one of those things that, that just felt like a good time. He has proven himself at Clemson. He also mashed, helped mastermind that 44-16 win over Alabama in the 2018 National Championship game. He helped uh, take Clemson from the team that couldn't quite get over the hump before 2015 to the team that was in the playoffs every year, 
played, won two national championships, played for two or three more. Um, let's see, 2015, 28, or 2019. Yeah, so played for two more. Um, so cannot knock Tony Elliott, but it just felt like a good time for, for him to move on, get that head coaching gig that he's had chances to take in the past and was just looking for the right spot. Virginia comes calling, feels like the right spot to him. He goes, kudos to him. Um, I've watched, you know, it feels like the end of an era. I hope it's not the end of a playoff era for Clemson, but, you know, it feels like the end of of those guys. Those guys were at least co-coordinators because Jeff Scott was a co-coordinator with Tony Elliott for the first couple years of this, this run. Um, those guys have been the coordinators for this run for Clemson, and they're gone now. Uh, Clemson decided to um, replace those coordinators in-house. They went in-house both ways. Um, and they replace uh, Brent Venables with Wes Godwin. He's been kind of a, a senior assistant, defensive assistant, kind of an, an analyst. Um, I found out this week that he has uh, gotten the nickname in the past of Weslacek. Because of the way he approaches the game, I think he wears a hoodie too, so that that kind of adds to that a little bit. Um, seems like a good hire. And on the defensive side of the ball, I had no problem with hiring in-house. Clemson defense, as I stated earlier, has been a powerhouse. Um, so if you've got somebody in-house that you think can just keep that going with the, with the group that you've got and with the guys you're adding, that if you've got a guy in-house that you think can just keep that ball rolling, do it. Um, because there's there's no reason not to. So good hire there. On offense, they promoted former Clemson quarterback Brandon Streeter. He's been the quarterbacks coach, and now he's the offensive coordinator. I'm not crazy about this hire for for a couple of reasons. Least of all, um, quarterback was a problem this year. Um, DJ Ungale, uh struggled with his confidence. He struggled completing passes. He just didn't seem comfortable all year, and it really didn't get better. It, it, it sort of got better in flashes down the stretch, but we never saw consistent quarterback play. So just in a very simplistic way, promoting the quarterback coach to be the offensive coordinator after you had problems at the quarterback position, I, I'm not super crazy about that. Um, I, I, optics aren't great there, but optics aren't everything. Um, also, it just others have said it. This is not an idea that's original to me. It felt like an opportunity. It felt like an opportunity to make a change to the offense, bring in a fresh voice without having to fire a coordinator. Because you don't want to fire Tony Elliott. That's a really bad look because he doesn't deserve it. Even if even if what went on at Clemson this year offensively is entirely Tony Elliott's fault, and I don't think it was, but even if it was, firing him would have been a bad look. So him leaving and going to Virginia gave you an opportunity to try something new, to get a new voice in the room without having to make that decision. And they didn't take it. And Dabo came out this week and said um, that it's even been confirmed that other that outside candidates inquired about the job, and he didn't even interview any external candidates. He went internal with Brandon Streeter. And... So college football, being a successful coach in college football, I have said in the past to people that all the best college football coaches are jerks in some way or another, and they are. They all are. If you're thinking about your favorite college football coach who's really good, he's a jerk in one way or another. Um, but what it really is, doing that job 
and it's probably the same for NFL, but it's, it's the same in high school, but especially in college football, for whatever reason, requires confidence that borders on hubris. Um, being able to beat that Alabama monster in 2000, specifically in 2018, but also in 16, but in 18, when Alabama was undefeated, and everybody in the world was talking about how Tua Tagovailoa and all those receivers and the running game and that defense, nobody was going to beat them. Might as well not even show up. It takes confidence bordering on hubris to know that what we do works. And here's, here's the game plan we're going to run. Here's how we're going to beat them and then go do it. It takes confidence bordering on hubris. It took that same concept because this is going to make me sound like a hypocrite because I know in 26 or before the 2015 season 2014 bowl game Chad Morris leaves to go take another job he had been the offensive coordinator for Clemson uh, as they started really getting things going with Taj Boyd and Dabo promotes just for the bowl game as Russell Athletic Bowl against Oklahoma he gives um Tony Elliott and uh, Jeff Scott the chance to be the co-coordinators for that bowl game, and they made Cole Stout look like somebody who might actually be able to play in the NFL. Cole Stout's now like a grad assistant or some kind of assistant with the Clemson program, by the way. If anybody's wondering where Cole Stout is these days, that's where he is. Um, They made him look like he actually might be a good quarterback, and that had not been the case all year. Um, And it took confidence, extreme confidence, for Dabo to just turn around and say... Those are my offensive coordinators going forward. We're trying to build something here. We're going to build a national champion, and we're going to do it with these guys. And it worked. Um, and it, that's what it takes to you know that's the that's what it takes to win. But bordering is the key word here because it could just become hubris at some point, and a lot of times that's when these good programs start folding is when they have the hubris to think, um, well, it worked one time and my system works. What I'm doing, what we've been doing here is works. We don't need a new voice. We need one of these other voices, to ju- one of these voices that's already here to just fix what we're already doing. And maybe that's not what is happening here. Maybe Streeter, maybe what Dabo knows is that Brandon Streeter is going to bring a whole new element to this offense. And he's going to do things that Tony Elliott didn't do. And he's going to make changes that Tony Tony Elliott wouldn't make. And that that's going to be the difference. But, so, I I said it with my friend Craig Foster, big-time Clemson fan. Uh, We actually had a radio show at Mercer called Section C, a sports talk radio station. That was my first show, if you will, the intellectual grandfather or father of the third and 15 podcast we were talking last week it may be that five years down the road we look back and go you remember when we didn't think brandon streeter being the offensive coordinator was a good hire man we were dumb i hope that's what we're thinking but it could also be that we look back and we go that's when it fell apart that's when clemson went from being a playoff team that was taking a year off to a good old seven and five eight and four clemson that's that's what I hope doesn't happen. But it's just this really felt like a good chance to bring in a new voice, bring in some fresh ideas, and Clemson didn't take that opportunity. So that's kind of my thoughts on that. If you were not a Clemson fan, that was a whole lot of time spent talking about something that you don't care a whole ton about. But thanks for bearing with me if you did. Let's get to talking about the Bulls. The Bulls do start this week. Um, today is, I'm recording on Wednesday. 
if you hadn't figured that out from all that National Signing Day talk. Um, and the bowls are starting on Friday. The, Mah- the Bahamas Bowl is on Friday at noon. Middle Tennessee State versus Toledo. I'm not really going to talk about that game too much. Uh, not going to talk about Northern Illinois, Coastal Carolina, and the Cure Bowl at 6 p.m. Coastal Carolina has a lot of guys, on, a lot of players on that team. I'm interested in that team. Um, some guys that I covered even in high school are, are on that team. Um, Cameron Brown's one of their leading receivers. I'm hoping to get him on the podcast someday, actually. Had a couple conversations about that, so look for that down the road. Hopefully we can get him on here um, and, and we can talk college football with him. Saturday. Uh, we have the Boca Raton Bowl, Western Kentucky versus App State at 11 a.m. Then the PUBG Mobile New, Mex- Mobile New Mexico Bowl. Listen, I'm butchering this stuff. UTEP versus Fresno State. Uh, UAB BYU at uh, 3.30 in the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. Uh, BYU is probably going to beat the brakes off of UAB, but that's okay. Eastern Michigan against Liberty in the Blending Tree Bowl at 5.45. Utah State, Oregon State, in the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl, presented by Stifle. My goodness, what a bowl name. Uh, that is at 7.30. And then Louisiana and, and Marshall facing off in the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl, 9.15. Uh, and then but before I would definitely record, next Monday, Old Dominion Tulsa in the Myrtle Beach Bowl, presented by Tax Act, of course. You knew that. I didn't have to tell you that. Tuesday. December 21st in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, Kent State versus Wyoming, and then UT San Antonio against San Diego State in the Frisco Bowl on Tuesday at 7.30, and then next Wednesday, Missouri and Army in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl at 8 p.m. on ESPN. Maybe I'll record again before then, so before next Thursday, so let's not get into that. Um, But when we're talking about the bowls, um, I do have a bowl challenge uh, ESPN group. You've probably played it. It is a confidence points group. Uh, the link to that group, it is the third and 15 podcast group. But that might take a little bit to find. The link to that group is it, the pinned tweet on my Twitter. My Twitter is again at JTIMM684. Uh, and if you go there, you can find the group. You can join it. Uh, the winner is going to just get the admiration of me your favorite college football podcast host. The winner could also maybe co-host an episode with me if that's something you're interested in. Not that that's like a a big honor. You know, this is just a small little podcast that I make for you guys and for me. But maybe you've got a college football story. Maybe you've got a college football fandom story you want to share. If you win this pod, if you win the group, the third and 15, that's the word third, the word and 15, um... And you can find that again on my Twitter, at JTIMM684. So that'll be the pinned tweet. If you win, maybe I'll let you co-host. And uh, we'll have a good time. We'll, we'll chop it up. So, anyway, join the group. Let's have some fun. Um, enjoy bowl season. I may record next week. I may not. Just depends on what's going on. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Have a great holiday season if you don't hear from me before Christmas, before the new year. Um, I've enjoyed doing this podcast, and we're going to keep it going in the new year. So, have a great one. And uh, we'll talk to you next time.